the story that started doing the rounds on Wednesday afternoon in Leinster House was a very unanticipated one, unexpected one, surprising one. Jack Horgan-Jones is a political reporter with the Irish Times. Alan Kelly, the leader of the Labour Party, was expected to quit the following day on Thursday. And, and this started doing the rounds quite widely, sparking, as I understand it, a barrage of media queries from the Irish Times and, and other organisations uh, into the, the Labour Party press office. There was various colourful incidents of Labour Party deputies being chased down the corridor by journalists and ignoring questions and all the rest of it. But ultimately, the, the decision was made that they wouldn't be able to do the synchronised approach that had been planned with Alan stepping down Thursday. And instead, he made a remarkable appearance on the plinth at Leinster House at, at seven o'clock, flanked by the entirety of the Parliamentary Party, Parliamentary Labour Party behind him, and announced that he was stepping down, that he had lost the confidence of all these people who were standing behind him and had just the previous day decided to, to effectively assassinate him politically and, and end his career. I was advised by my parliamentary colleagues on Tuesday morning uh, that they had lost collective confidence in my leadership. Uh, this was a surprise to me. Why it matters, I suppose, is, you know, the resignation of a party leader is always a newsworthy event. You know, the Labour Party is, is not the force that it once was and is not the force that it traditionally has been in Irish politics. But the hope, I think, had been that Alan Kelly, with his particular brusque approach to politics, would be the leader that could, you know, perhaps restore Labour's electoral fortunes. Him stepping down shows that that's not going to happen. It prompts wider uh, questions for the future of the Labour Party for, you know, the role they play within an increasingly fragmented political system and, you know, whether they will ever be able to come back to something approximating a position of strength or relevance within Irish politics or whether it's just going to be one rolling identity crisis. I have to acknowledge that we haven't been able, as a party, to move on in the opinion polls, and I have a deep regret about that. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Jennifer Ryan, standing in for Connor and Surika. Today, the rise and fall of Alan Kelly and the future of the Labour Party. Jack, Alan Kelly was appointed as Labour leader less than two years ago, but he started his career in politics in 2007. How did his political story begin? So he says himself that he's politicised from an early age um, and you know, comes from a working class background in Nina and County Tipperary and was involved in, in youth and student politics, I think, in the late 90s and, and early 2000s. And, you know, one thing to bear in mind about Kelly is that he's, he's a remarkably successful politician. He uh, was elected to the, the Shannad in 2007 and, and was there for a couple of years before quickly moving on to the European Parliament, where he gave undertakings that he would serve his full five year term, but uh, ended up running as a candidate in the 2011 general election, which was more widely known as the kind of Gilmore Gale general election, which saw Labour uh, reach record highs of popularity and enter into a coalition with an incredibly large majority with, with Fine Gael. And, and he was successfully elected for Tipperary in that election and, and, and then was appointed uh, as, a, as a junior minister, which he served in under Gilmore until Gilmore was knifed by the Labour Party following uh, an, an electoral disaster in the local elections in 2014. And again, here at this point, Kelly shows, you know, some more of that ambition and skill and momentum that I suppose is, is his hallmark in politics. 
you know, he backs himself and he backed himself to become deputy leader of the Labour Party under Joan Burton. He ran a, an aggressive and successful campaign and, and, and to be made a cabinet minister uh, in 2014, just I think uh, six or seven short years after the beginning of his electoral career. So perhaps not quite as as, as quick as some of the elevations we've seen since, but nonetheless, a, a fairly quick uh, upward trajectory. So he went from senator to cabinet minister in just eight years. What was behind his rapid rise? What were his strengths as a politician? Like, as I said, Kelly always backs himself. You know, he's got incredible uh, self-belief and he's a very effective campaigning politician. He's what I suppose you might describe as a, as a, as a bread and butter operator. Um, and in that way, people have seen him and his brand of politics as distinct or separate from a brand of politics that might be more traditionally associated with recent incarnations of the Labour Party and certainly one wing of the Labour Party, which is a more kind of urban focused, social justice, liberal, progressive view of the world. That's not to say that Kelly doesn't support those things, but I think it's 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 it, his particular outlook is more around the kind of traditional Labour as a working party view of the world and his campaigning style is more traditionally in line with that that you might expect from, you know, a Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael minister. He's about delivering for the constituency and about delivering for the voters. So he's, 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 he's a normal politician and, and an effective version of, of that kind of normal politician, um, but perhaps not a usual politician for some elements within the Labour Party. What did he achieve as a minister? He was associated, I suppose, with a lot of the or some of the issues that have become kind of calcified into the the public policy issues of our time, most explicitly housing. He was minister for environment and housing during his time in cabinet and and also with the second part of the Irish water fiasco. He picked up where Phil Hogan left off. And I suppose he was the first of those housing ministers. There's been a a long line of them since who became kind of hate figures, polarizing figures for the opposition. But you know, I think he, he confronted that with his usual approach and I suspect relished it in parts. See, that's your problem. That's your problem. Sorry, keep your mouth shut and your ear is open. And we you might not have to get... Get How dare you? How dare you? I think it's curious in some ways to perhaps jump forward a little bit. One of the reasons that has been offered for his very public execution has been a desire to break from the past, a desire to break from the past incarnation of the Labour Party, the generation that served 2011 to 2016. And I'm, I'm kind of firmly of the view that this is more of a thing for Labour Party members and for perhaps members of the Parliamentary Labour Party itself than it is for punters in the street. I'm deeply suspicious of the notion that that many people even particularly remember Alan Kelly was in cabinet or particularly associate him with the current housing crises or, you know, the current saliency of Irish water fiasco and all as it was. I'm not sure that it's dictating too many voting intentions at the moment. So while I think it is inevitably the case that he will in the broad survey history of his political career be associated with the beginning of those things and with the controversy and the difficulties around Irish water at the time. I think it's strange to see that being held against him now, five or six years hence. He championed particular issues throughout his career too, and he was quite effective in doing so, wasn't he? You think about cervical check scandal. We all know of the case of Lindsay Bennett last week, Count Corda, I'm sure. And the Morris McCabe affair. Yes, and I think this is one of his strengths as well. And he showed it when he was on the Public Accounts Committee. And those two examples that you've shown are are the most um, high profile examples of it. But he was good at kind of intellectually and emotionally as well, and also politically 
getting to the core of a complex topic or problem or controversy and driving at it like a bull at a gate. I remember last year during the vaccine rollout, which is something that he had identified, I think, as a potential political weakness for the government and a potential political win for him and the Labour Party. He was just saying, I will keep going for this. And, uh, you know, and similarly, I remember during the controversy over the Seamus Wolf appointment. And the separation of powers no, is being misused no, 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 by your please. government. He was standing there almost taunting uh, Minister for Justice Helen McEntee going like, I'll just keep going. I'll keep peeling away layer after layer after layer. So there was this methodological, bloody minded approach to policy politics that he had. And it was it was really effective. That's part of the reason that people in Labour who supported him were hopeful that he would perhaps be that leader who could deliver a kind of asymmetric benefit for Labour because he might be able to identify those issues that he could really focus in on and deliver huge amounts of airtime for for the party, huge amounts of relevance and huge amounts of saliency within the minds of voters um, to an outsized degree beyond what might be suggested by you know their relatively small uh, Aractus representation. In 2016, Labour had the worst election in its history. It went from 37 TDs to only seven. During that campaign, Kelly gave an interview to the Sunday Independent where he famously said, power is a drug. To give the full quote, anybody who says that power isn't attractive is telling you a lie. Of course it is. It's obviously a drug. It's attractive. It's something you thrive on. It suits some people. It doesn't suit others. I think it suits me. That came back to haunt him, didn't it? Yeah, he's never really gotten over that. And, you know, the sense, I think probably accurately, that like it gives, uh, it gives, it, it shows, you know, that within Alan Kelly's head, he's the protagonist of a particularly cool political thriller. <laughs> and that's just the, that's just the kind of guy that he is. I think that that has turned people off within the Labour Party at times in concert with the other factors that we outlined about his particular style and his uh, political kind of stratagems and so on. But he survived that election. He kept Labour's seat in Tipperary North. Leader Joan Burton stood down and Kelly threw his hat into the ring to become the leader for the first time. It's fair to say that didn't go very well. Can you explain what happened? Yeah, so Kelly in the aftermath of that election, I think, saw himself very much as the logical next leader of the Labour Party, as someone who had the the ambition, the passion and the commitment to the party uh, and was also probably a generational shift. He sought the nominations of uh, his colleagues in the Parliamentary Labour Party, but no one was willing to back him. And I think that evidences, you know, the fact that while he has a uh, a very effective campaigning style and, and is able to get himself elected and he has a constituency within the wider Labour Party that whatever way he did his business at the time made him so unpopular with his uh, parliamentary colleagues that in the end there wasn't even a contest for the Labour Party leadership. Brendan Howland stepped in as a kind of, it would be unkind to say a placeholder, but certainly, you know, I don't think anyone was looking to Brendan Howland for a vision for the next 20 years of the Labour Party. 
Kelly didn't even turn up to the conference where uh, he was announced as leader. And, and I think that that went down very badly and reflected poorly in the eyes of many people at the time as, as something of a petulant act. And perhaps in, in the long run may have, uh, may have prompted a, a broader reexamination of Kelly, by Kelly, of, of, of how he was going about his business uh, and a determination as well that, you know, the next time he, he would not be thwarted. And he took over the party after beating Aon Riordan in a leadership contest in 2020. He said it was time to go back to basics and stop apologising for the failures of the past. How did he do it first? The 2020 Labour Party leadership election showed in some ways Kelly at his most effective because it was not necessarily an easy an easy task. Aon Riordan had also been seen as a potential kind of generational shift in the leadership of the, the Labour Party, a strong and articulate politician who stuck with the party and went into the, the Shannage despite losing his seat in 2016, served his time in the trenches, won a seat back in Dublin Bay North in 2020 and was more aligned with that kind of liberal progressive urban wing of the party that may ultimately be seen to be in the ascendant when it comes to determining what kind of Labour Party is there in the future. Kelly and him went toe to toe and, and Kelly won, uh, not you know by a massive margin, but quite convincingly in the end, I think winning with about 55% of the vote. It went relatively well for Kelly early doors insofar as it could have been expected to do. Uh, Labour won other Shannon races, albeit that actually the, the votes for those were cast before Kelly became leader. But I suppose the point is that like the wider electoral hinterland has not been a disaster for him. And there's been a very clear high watermark for his leadership when Ivana Bacic won the Dublin Bay South by election in 2021 that was occasioned by the resignation of Owen Murphy from the Dáil. A huge moment for Labour. She was uh, a well-known face and a well-known presence in Irish politics, but was one of those politicians who had failed to punch through electorally, despite being in the Shannon for, for many years. And she'd had many, uh, several unsuccessful runs in, um, in, in general elections and failed to be returned to the doll. And, and she, she won at a canter, um, in Dublin Bay South. Now, I suppose if one was being skeptical, you can make the argument that that was, you know, not that was an Ivana Bacic vote that got her over the line. It wasn't even necessarily a Labour vote and, and to an even lesser extent could it be argued to have been an Alan Kelly vote. But nonetheless, the fact of the matter is that the guy was barely in the door and won the first by-election. He won the first electoral test. So what more could be asked, right? Against that one would have to, to balance the, the polling performance of the Labour Party, which had, had trundled along somewhere between 3 and 5%, I think, in the Irish Times, Ipsos MRBI poll. Ultimately, if we take it at face value, the explanations that are being offered as to why he left, that is why people moved against him, because he seemed to be unable, despite garnering a lot of media attention, being visible, being combative in the doll, getting Bacic elected and having all that kind of, you know, energetic approach to, to politics that he's known for, despite all that, he, he wasn't able to inspire voters. Uh, he wasn't able to convince voters to come across to the Labour Party. But what's curious about this again is that it's like we're midway through an electoral cycle. There's been no real test of this. I was talking to an ally of Kelly today and they made the point that 
local elections will be something that Kelly will be particularly good at. His brand of politics would travel particularly well. He'd do an awful lot of work. It would be a real post-pandemic thing for him. He's spoken about how difficult he's found it to operate during the pandemic. But getting out there, pressing the flesh, being there for local election candidates would have been something that he would have relished. And I think he would have relished, well, I know because he said it last night, that he would have relished being ad leader of the Labour Party for, for a general election. But ultimately, it seems to have been determined that even this far out from both those events, notwithstanding the fact that his leadership has not been a disaster, um, he wasn't to be given that chance because of those polls. And that brings us up to this week. We don't get this crowd on Tuesday morning, lads. On Wednesday, a press conference was called at short notice. I had intended on doing this tomorrow, but um, you uh, pulled me forward. And Kelly, looking humble and devastated, according to reports, announced his resignation in an emotional speech. Becoming leader of the Labour Party was the best political day of my life. You were there. What was it like? It was strange. Um, It was strange because, as I said at the top, you know, they had kind of been bounced into this, Labour and and Alan Kelly. They'd they'd wanted to do it in in a more structured way. They wanted to do it on Thursday. And they were forced into doing this at this plinth at seven o'clock as the voting bells rang out behind them and, and people filtered into Leinster House to take the Wednesday evening vote, voting block. They were kind of rubbernecking over at this bizarre and un- unexpected spectacle of Kelly offering himself up to his own party who had demanded his head. And, you know, he's he's a guy who gets emotional at times and he did get emotional, became choked up at particular junctures when thanking people who had worked with him in local politics and his own backroom team and also um, his family. Uh, and all the while he was flanked by the people who had effectively politically assassinated him. It was a weird moment uh, and, you know, it was it was an unexpected moment. And I think in many ways, people are still struggling to understand the explanations that have been offered as to why and how we got to that particularly strange political moment. And those explanations, there was talk of a culture within Labour. What do we know about why he stepped down and why he did it now? There's been a a bit of a media blitz today by two of the three people involved in actually ultimately going to him with a mandate from the rest of the Parliamentary Labour Party. Two of the three people who went to him, Senator Mark Wall and uh, Duncan Smith, the Dublin Fingal TD, have been on the radio and they both kind of stuck very closely to the the, the proffered explanation that, that Kelly himself gave on the plinth, which is, first of all, the polling, that there was no bounce after he was elected. Second of all, that, you know, there had been no traction for him during the pandemic, that he found it difficult during the pandemic to be an effective leader and to, you know, impart his message to to voters and thirdly that you know there was there needed to be a shift away from people who were associated with the 2011 to 2016 coalition now there are some issues going on in the background I, I understand that for several weeks now PLP meetings uh, parliamentary labor party meetings have been dominated by quite a bit of unhappiness and discussion around polling performance but more recently there's also been uh, some unhappiness about a uh, a job offer uh, or an appointment that was made to a backroom position within the labor party uh, and also these kind of amorphous complaints about culture which might also have something to do with with Kelly's Kelly's style his management style his, he's known to be brusque and abrupt and straightforward and perhaps that has rubbed people up, some people up the wrong way and that's played into it as well. Those are all the contributory factors. 
Coming up, the challenge facing Labour's next leader as the party struggles to reinvent itself. Jack, you've mentioned Labour's poor performance in opinion polls. Kelly referenced it in his resignation speech himself and mentioned his regret that during his tenure he didn't succeed in turning that around. Why have successive Labour leaders failed to renew the party's popularity? What's clear is that the Labour Party has never managed to recover from its association with austerity politics. They've been damned by association with policies that people saw as a betrayal of not only what they articulated they would do going into government during the general election in 2011. You know, it was the, the, the era of the famous campaign poster Frankfurt's Way or Labour's Way, which suggested that Labour had the backbone, uh, inclination and interest in standing up to uh, to, to the Troika, um, which they, you know, they would say they mitigated the worst, but clearly the public perception was that they co-towed with, uh, with an austerity agenda that was deeply damaging and I think empirically has been shown to be deeply damaging. Not just that they had betrayed or strayed too far from the promises that they made in an electoral sense in 2011, but also from, uh, you know, their, their principles as a party. And I think that what has followed on from there has been a wider crisis of confidence and crisis of identity. Similarly to how Fianna Fáil has struggled to, to answer the question of what Fianna Fáil is for, what Fianna Fáil is about post-recession, I think the Labour Party has struggled to explain to voters why it should vote for, for why they should vote for it. You know, the, the more radically minded of people who may have been traditionally attracted to a left politics or a left party, um, the largest party representing which was always Labour, uh, are probably now more attracted to uh, to the hard left or to Sinn Féin. Um, and people who, and there are options as well on the kind of centre left or, you know, more kind of liberal left for, for people who might now end up voting for the Social Democrats, which is Labour gene pool. A lot of the TDs and, and leaders were formerly of, of the Labour Party. Or, or for the Green Party. So it, they, they, they've struggled to, to be relevant within Irish politics. Kelly was a particular strategy for trying to counteract what is now a rolling multi-generational problem for the Labour Party. It didn't work. Some, and Kelly, I presume, would argue that it wasn't given a chance to work. What's not clear exactly is, is, is whether the next leader, presumably Ivana Bacic, whether she'll be able to do anything different about that. Yeah. And finally, Jack, after Kelly made his announcement, there were two names circulating, as you say, as possible contenders to replace him, Ivana Bacic and Duncan Smith. Smith has now said he won't run. Also, same goes for Aona Reardon. Does that clear the way for Bacic or could another challenger emerge? And what factors will the party members be thinking about when they make their choice? I don't think anyone else is going to emerge. I mean, the next leader under Labour Party rules has to be a TD. So when you take out former leaders, you're looking really at Ivana Duncan, Jed Nash and Aina Rudon. And Aina's ruled himself out. Jed has been silent, but I don't think anyone expects him to go for it. Um, and now Duncan has ruled himself out. So, I mean, it, it, it would be extremely hard to see anyone other than than, than Bacic. Um coming to the fore and successfully being elected uh, as Labour Party leader. And I think that what will be expected of her is to show that she is building a, a greater base for the Labour Party, probably a more urban base, to show that she is uh, 
popular and articulating a policy platform that resonates probably with younger people. So I would expect them, I expect her and I expect the Labour Party to go in very, very strongly on quality of life issues, cost of living issues, childcare, uh, housing, all these things, you know, are the obvious ways in which they can win if they can convince people that they have a policy platform that has a reasonable chance of, of actually making a difference there. The problem is that that, that space is, is crowded. Uh, it's crowded by Sinn Féin, it's crowded by the centre-left. So they face that same fundamental problem of relevancy, of, of saliency, of you know whether people notice them, whether they're seen as credible, whether they're seen as an alternative. Uh, and that's the challenge that will face uh, the next leader. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the News will be back on Monday.